let's turn in our Bibles to the passage of Scripture which we read in the book of Acts, chapter 17. And as God would help us, let to concentrate on verses 30 and 31. The book of Acts, chapter 17, <coughs> verses 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now... He commands all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul is concluding his sermon. He's preaching to highly intelligent, well-educated <coughs> Greek philosophers. He has just given them a thorough review of history and providence with God, with God at the centre. Now, as he concludes, he tells them that they have no alternative but to repent. And we feel like saying, repent of what? He has not charged them with any sin. In fact, he hasn't even mentioned the law of God. Maybe you here tonight. And you say, what am I to depend on? I'm a good neighbour. I do my best for my family. I'm an honest worker. What am I to repent of? The answer? We have to repent. And we all have to repent of not worshipping God. <coughs> if any of us will be in a lost eternity. It will never be for something we have done. Have you got that? None of us in here will ever be in a lost eternity for something we have done. Because everything we have done can be forgiven. There is nothing anyone here has done that cannot be forgiven. If any of us go to a lost eternity, it is because of something we have not done. We have not repented. We have not believed. Isn't that interesting? If I were to ask you, what's your greatest sin? Write a list of your big problems, your big sins. What would be at the top? Wouldn't it be something you've done. Our greatest sin is unbelief. Not believing in God. Now, these philosophers, 
They were worshipping. They were religious. But they were worshipping false gods. So they have to repent of not worshipping the one living and true God. You and I, and most people on this island, know there is only one living and true God. But haven't we sidelined him? Haven't we put him to the margins of our lives? Oh, give him lip service, we'll acknowledge he's there. But we take pretty good care he's not going to influence our lives too much. Is that not the way we are? all are by nature? We're quite happy to make God number two. Quite happy to make him number two. That we are number one. Isn't that right? We are number one. We want to be in charge of our own lives, don't we? Obviously, that's natural. Yes, it's natural. But we're trying to focus on the spiritual. We're trying to focus on the spiritual. God must be number one. Our shorter catechism teaches us to number one, the first question. Man's chief end. The main purpose of man on earth is to glorify God and as we try to say to the children this morning, enjoy Him. That's our main purpose. Enjoying God. But God is worthy of our worship. Worthy of our praise. But notice that our text says, But now God commands all men everywhere. Now. You see, the previous verse, The times of ignorance God overlooked. Um, now that Christ has appeared, it's different. God previously, the, the period, of, referring there to the period of God's forbearance with an ignorant age, that's now past. God overlooked all that in the past, as it were. But now, now that Christ has come, things are different. Now that light has come into the world, there is no excuse. There's plenty evidence for those who are sufficiently interested. The real problem is, are we really interested in fulfilling the purpose of our existence on earth? Paul's very well aware of that. <coughs> So he says, now God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. It's not God's advice that we should repent. It's not a recommendation which God gives us that we should repent. It is an, it is an imperative. 
It is a command. All people everywhere. That's pretty inclusive. Eh? They charge Christianity with being non-inclusive. Eh? All men everywhere are commanded to repent and believe. What's exclusive about that? All men everywhere. Very clear. Very clear language. So, what does it mean to repent? Just three things briefly I want to say about repenting. It is essentially a change of mind and heart regarding God, Christ, sin, the gospel, the Bible. A change of mind and heart leading to a change of lifestyle. We try to cover that in the morning. It's a grieving over our past lives. It's a putting to death sin in the present. And it is a resolve to live to God's glory in the future. Very brief homemade definition of repentance. But I want to mention as well, there is no genuine repentance for sin without alongside it hope in Christ. Or as the Catechism puts it, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. There, there is no despair in repentance. There is some hope. The gospel is repent and believe, not repent and give up, not repent and think there's no hope. Yes, our sin is desperately serious, but there is a remedy, there is hope, there is forgiveness. It's not a waste of time truly repenting and turning from your sin. But repenting isn't simply turning from. It's turning to Christ as our hope and as our faith. That is absolutely vital to repent. Second Corinthians 7.10 What is it? Godly for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Satan will allow you to be convicted of your sin as long as you think there's no hope for you. As long as you despair. When the Holy Spirit convicts, it's with this purpose. To bring you to the cross of Christ. To bring you to hope in Christ. To bring you to faith in Christ. His purpose in convicting you is to forgive you. But you can only get forgiveness in Christ. 
in Jesus. And that's his purpose. That's why, maybe I'm cynical, but you always get a little bit suspicious of people who say, oh, there's no hope for me. You don't know what I've done. There's no hope for me. When the Holy Spirit convicts, it's with the intention of leading you to the cross. Leading you to where there is forgiveness. Leading you to where you can have peace and pardon and mercy in Christ. The other thing meant to say with regard to repentance is it is not a one-off experience at the beginning of our Christian life. It is an ongoing practice. <clears throat> repentance is something we need to do every hour. Remember it's been a man at a, 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 a bus stop. Every hour. Every hour, not every day, every hour. Well, you see, we continually need to confess and repent because we are continually sinning. It's not something you do once at the beginning. It's something we continue to do. You remember the epistle of John? Uh, many people are terrified about chapter 3 verse 8 <coughs> chapter 3 verse 8 or 9 oh I know one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God always remember uh, reading when that verse terrified me uh, and I went to the commentaries no doubt and uh, it's the first thing to remember when you read that verse is remember that the person who wrote it is the person who wrote chapter 1 verse 8 which says if we Christians he's writing to Christians the epistle of John is written to Christians if we Christians say that we've no sin the only one we're deceiving are ourselves we're never in a place where we can say we're now sinless. But because we're continually sinning, we continually repent. And it is vitally important that we continually repent. But also continually remember if we confess our sins, as John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Maybe some of you have heard of uh, R.C. Sproul, <coughs> Ligonier Ministries. I've written a lot of very good reformed books. <coughs> he tells a story of a, a girl coming to him for some help when he was pastor. And uh, she said that she had committed a serious sin with her boyfriend. So he told her to, the Bible says, confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. So she went away and she came back again. She says, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And she came back three or four or five, six times, I think, and back. It hasn't worked. I've been forgiven. And then he realized, I'm telling you, he said, not simply to repent of the sin you committed with your boyfriend, 
telling you, repent of the sin of having confessed your sin, you don't believe the Father's forgiven you. Repent of that sin. That's what was confusing her. Do we believe 1 John 1 8 or not? If we Christians confess our sins, he really is just and able to forgive us our sins. So it's a continual exercise, repenting. A continual exercise, trusting Christ. And you know, there is no greater occasion when we ought to exercise faith than when we fail, than when we let Christ down, than when we sin. <coughs> what an opportunity to exercise faith. Not despair. Not say, oh, I can't have been, I must have been mistaken, I'm not a Christian after all. <coughs> what an opportunity to exercise faith. Do we believe the gospel? He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life and will not come into condemnation. Do we believe it or do we not? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the book of Revelation, Christ addresses the churches. Seven times Seven times, in two chapters, he says to the churches, repent. It's not a one-off exercise. It's a daily, hourly exercise for believers. Note the reason why Paul, the reason Paul gives to these well-educated, highly intelligent philosophers. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. Hebrews 9, 7 says it also. It is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, after that, the judgment. There is a date in God's diary that is unaltered. And you and I are navigating toward that date. We have never been nearer to that date. We have never been nearer the day of judgment than tonight. Our lives are steering towards that appointment. It cannot be cancelled. That date, the day of judgment, cannot be cancelled from God's diary. There's nothing you can do about avoiding that date. There's nothing any of us can do about delaying it. Even by an hour. We can't delay it. It's, what does our text say? Fixed. Fixed. Nothing we can do to hide on that day. Every secret thing will be made known. Can't go off ill on that day. All that an assembled 
universe will gather before God. You can't delay it. You can't put it off. You can't cancel it. You can't avoid it. There's nothing any of us can do about that day except except prepare for it. You can't prepare for it. So how do we prepare for it? Well, well, we go back to John. John's epistle. He tells us pretty clearly. My little children, I'm writing these things to you, that is you believers, you Christians, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, what's he to do? Remember, if anyone does, if any one of you Christians sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Remember that. What's the scene? An advocate. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, with another scene, we're told something else. Every night in David, 12, 10, isn't it? Or 10, 12. 12, 10, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of our brothers, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. What's the imagery? court scene in heaven. And the accuser of the brothers, the accuser of Christians, comes in like the prosecuting counsel. With his briefcase, with a case against Christians. And he says, does he not something like this? See that child of yours. Last night he committed this sin. Why is he not in hell with me? Well, he's got a point, hasn't he? The case has to proceed. But our advocate, and it's interesting the word advocate could be translated, the one who stands alongside you. are in a courtroom trembling. You need support. Our advocate from your side. Jesus Christ the righteous steps forward. He says, yes, that's right. My child did sin yesterday, but, but, my blood paid for his sin. Let my people go. Have you got that advocate? Have you got that advocate? Have you committed the keeping of your soul to the advocate? Have you made Christ responsible for your sins. He asks us to come to him. That's what he asks in the gospel. I'll represent you. I'll stand in there on the great day of judgment. How good to trust Christ, to have Jesus, to have him as our advocate. He's fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. In righteousness.
righteousness. If there is no day of judgment, then there is no justice with God. And God is not righteous. If there is no day of judgment, God is not holy. He's not holy. Work it out. If everybody gets off, if anyone gets <coughs> off with anything, he's not righteous. He's not holy. He's not just. It's righteousness. It is. It will be fair. You notice when you hear court cases and they seem to go on, there's appeals and appeals and appeals. But you see, it's not simply in this case that there is will be no higher court to appeal to. But you often hear the terminology, they're looking for grounds for appeal. You can't just appeal. There has to be grounds for appeal. Because this court will be so fair, so fair, there will be no grounds for an appeal. Assuming there was a higher court to appeal to. But there is none, and there will be no need for it. It will be fair, and even the wicked will know it that day. Not today, perhaps, but that day they will know it. And who's the judge? Who will be on the throne that day? He's appointed a day by a, by a man whom he has appointed. On that day, Christ will be on the throne. He'll be on the throne. How fitting. How fitting. <coughs> How fitting it is he who said, unless you repent. The question will be asked. Yes, we know they committed all these sins. We know that. There's evidence. Have they repented? Have they handed these sins over to Christ to absolve? That's the question. How fitting. Christ, who will be in charge that day, how fitting. The one who said, unless you repent. The one who said, all can be forgiven. All manner of sin can be forgiven. How fitting he is the one in charge that day. How fitting it is that man whom he has appointed, that man who said, come to me. How fitting. That man who said to his church, now go tell everyone about your job. Christ's last words. Amazing, isn't it? Of whom else can it be said that his last words were not his dying words? Of whom else in history can that be said of? That's not Christ's dying word. Christ rose from the dead. That's not his good But his last words, after he rose from the dead, to his church, go tell everyone all the sins can be forgiven in one moment just repent and believe and all 
Now you might ask, perfectly entitled to ask, how do we know all this is true? How do we know it's all true? Well, that's what's so important about the last part of verse 31. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. All of this he has given assurance to all by raising them from the dead. I've read there's more evidence, more reason to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than that Napoleon ever lived. Do you believe there was such a person as Napoleon? Not very many credible historians will question that. But do you believe Napoleon? There was a person called Napoleon. There's far more reason to believe Christ rose from the dead. That's, that's challenging. That is challenging. A higher level of credibility for Christ rising from the dead than that the man Napoleon ever lived. Everything's based on truth. <coughs> Christians ought not to be afraid of the truth. Well, are just two things in conclusion. Just a quick reference first to this term. The times of ignorance God overlooked. As we said, the, the reference is to the period of God's forbearance with an ignorant age. Before, he, before Christ came, before things were revealed as they are now. <coughs> but it is vital to understand that forgiveness is not God overlooking our sin. It's not God saying, well, forget about it. God's holy. God cannot do that. God cannot say, oh, I'll well, change your mind about that. You see, God did make man. And he made a promise that sin must be paid for by death. And then, Human beings sinned. But God so loved the world. So loved the world. The, the, the triune God wanted humans to be in heaven with them. Wanted it. Loved it. But he said, We've sworn. We can't go back in it. We can't change the rules. We can't cancel what we said. We can't overlook sin. But it can be paid for. But it can only be paid for satisfactorily. Up to the demands of a broken law, it can only be paid for by the second person of the Godhead. And it's, oh, I found it personally very helpful. God 
when he forgives us, he doesn't cancel our debt. He pays our debt. Or at least, he has already paid it in Christ. When Christ died on that cross, he atoned for the sin of all who be in heaven. Do you believe that? I remember when I was doing my open university course to prepare for the ministry, and I was terrified. I had to do a course in world religions, and I was absolutely terrified that um, that would that would uh, break my faith. But instead of that, I did the very opposite. I remember our lecturer giving us a lecture, a tutor, a lecture on, well, he did it through all the various religions, of course, and then he came to Christianity. He spoke about the crucifixion. And I was delighted. It was so biblical. It was so accurate. And I went to stop to him afterwards and said, real pleased you're a Christian. Well, he said, I'm not a Christian. I said, that was a most accurate Count you gave of the crucifixion. Oh yes, he says, I don't believe you were there praying for our sins. Yes, there was three there after me. Three of them were crucified that Friday afternoon. Oh, different but the one in the middle. Well, what about the Roman centurion? Now that Roman centurion, no doubt, was probably in charge of crucifixions. Maybe Friday was crucifixion day, and there's three that day. It was much. When he saw that Christ so cried out with a loud voice, he said, surely he must be the Son of God. That's not the way normal crucified men die. Shouting with a loud voice. If they speak at all, it's a whimper. Well, that's different. That's not the way normal men die when they're crucified. He knew he was God, paying, atoning for the sin of believers. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's where salvation is found. So my last point. That man who will judge the world. What does it say in verse 27? He, yet he, in fact, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. He's not far away. You're here tonight. You're not a Christian. He's right beside you. He's in this room. And he is only a prayer away. He is only a look away. We can say he's only a sigh away. The Bible. He's not far from each one of us. And who's he addressing? Highly intelligent, well-educated Greek philosophers. And he says, come for the dead beside you. He's not far away from every single one of you. And that's the same tonight. Close with a story. A man wanted to see one of the wonders of the world, the Niagara Falls. Made a long, long journey, long, long journey. 
And eventually he thought he was just about there. And he asked someone, he said, how far away am I from the Niagara Falls? The man looked at him, he says, I would say approximately 24,000 miles away. Nonsense. That's the circumference of the world. I can't be that far away. Well, he said, that's approximately how far away you are. The way you're facing. The way you're facing. But just turn around. And you'll see it. Just turn around. That's repentance, you know. Turning. Turning around and going toward Christ. Oh, you may be far away, but you're going in the right direction. Toward the cross of Christ. Toward Jesus. May God, the Holy Spirit, make his word, his truth, effectual to every one of us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, be pleased to take the things of Christ and make them ours. Unite us to your Son in a living faith. Oh, bless us in Christ, we pray. Reveal him to us as our God and Savior. Give us hearing ears. Give us seeing eyes. Give us warm welcome. Hear us in mercy, answer us in peace, as we pray, only and all, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We'll conclude our service of worship and singing from the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 119. Page 404, page 404 in your book, Psalm 119, verse 57, and we'll sing to verse 60, four stanzas, 119, verse 57, Thou my sure fortune art alone, which I did choose, O Lord, I have resolved and said that I would keep thy holy word. Down to verse 60. I did not stay nor linger long as those that slothful are, but hastily thy laws to keep myself I did prepare. Psalm 119, verses 
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.